I'm Jane Neath, and you're listening to General Insight Unit. In this episode, we're resuming our discussion of Computer Power and Human Reason by Joseph Weizenbaum. If you didn't catch the previous episode, I'd recommend pausing this episode, going back one, and starting from there. As always, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. to a section then like uh, about uh, Weizenbaum's experience on campus with the Vietnam War and like student protests and his kind of growing unease at the kind of position of computing and, and artificial intelligence within the matrix of the military industrial complex. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's sort of like Weizenbaum becomes increasingly uncomfortable. Um, uh you know, there's he had qualms about Eliza and published articles about it and so on, but he just kept on doing his work because, like, you know, he had a wife and kids and a secure job and prestige and blah, blah, blah. But then the MIT students start to really protest on campus. Uh, there's a research stoppage that they do um, to protest the Vietnam War in March 4th, 1969. Um, and, uh, you have Chomsky show up and McGovernor is there, uh, and, uh, gets, it, yeah, yeah, sorry, George McGovern, yeah, the failed presidential candidate, um, uh, and, uh, um, yeah, uh, this really affects Weizenbaum, um, he becomes an activist, right, he, he to what like you know he has this institutional position like this secure institutional position at MIT and he uses it to the best of his abilities to support the student protesters and to support the cause of the like you know uh, the the whole civil rights plus anti Vietnam War movement that was going on uh, support the the new left I guess uh, you could say. Um, um, and, uh, uh, and one of the reasons that it, that comes up for him is like, yeah, he thinks back to the German scientists who worked for the Nazis and, and is like, well, I am kind of in that situation here. Like there is napalm being dropped on children thanks to the bleep bloop machines that I am building, um, because McNamara has you know, gone on this sort of quixotic quest to design a computer program that can fight a war for him. Um, uh, again, like a lot of this stuff is like snake oil bullshit. Like it doesn't work, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't, it, that it always doesn't work. Right. And, and therefore, you know, Weizenbaum feels complicit and that he has to do something about it, even if the system like, I don't think at the time it was appreciated, maybe even especially at MIT, just how ineffectual these systems were um, or why they were, like, fundamentally flawed as designs, right? This thing that we talk about with McNamara just getting all the data in the universe but having none of, none of the actual capacity to interpret it in any useful way. Um, uh, but, yeah, it feels like, you know, he's really... He's really doing a lot of harm um, and he needs to do something to stop it. And there are examples that they give of like, you know, technologies that are actually useful, right? Like this 
this gun stabilizers for machine guns on, on, on Huey helicopters to, you know, shoot people in rice fields, right, or jungles. Um, like, that's a very obviously useful project for killing people in a way that, like, McNamara's ridiculous um, war brain was not. Uh, yeah. The things he does is, he, like, he goes to street protests, he meets with students, he um, gets on the disciplinary committee at MIT and basically does, like, a, does like a work-to-rule uh, procedure to just, like, stall out the disciplinary procedure long enough for students to be able to graduate, even if they were uh, set to be expelled. Yeah, that's, that's fucking solid. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's very awesome. solid, yeah. Um, in 1976, Weizenbaum publishes his big book, Computer Power and Human Reason, From Judgment to Calculation, which is the book we'll be reading, I guess, starting in the next session. Um, this thing is fucking, this thing is a fucking monster. I've, I've only read, like, up through the first chapter and a bit of the second, but it is wall-to-wall -wall fucking bangers so far, and I, I absolutely love it. Um, it's a hell of a book. Um, and it's, it's really, I don't know, it's incredible to have this, like insider critique like from somebody who ha has been there for the birth of artificial intelligence and like you know trying to uh, something he's notably trying to do throughout it is bring in the humanities bring in philosophy bring in like thought into this brainless bullshit that fucking Minsky and, and the other boys are up to you know and imploring them to just fucking think about this shit for even a fucking second you dumb motherfuckers you know quite wonderful <laughs> Well, he, it reminds me a lot of reading beer, right? You know, it's a, it's a different, if it's a different problem domain, but like a very similar position of coming from an established position and then like doing the heterodox critique using ideas from outside and your own experiences. Yeah. But with, with beer, you get like, um, maybe, you know, despite his experiences, a more positive, like, let's build socialism. We could do this stuff. With, and with this, you get, I mean, maybe, uh, and, and with, you know, let's destroy what we have and build something cool. With, with this, um, you have um, the Frankfurt School pessimism that, you know. Yeah. This is quite dark. That classic critical bland, uh, excuse me, classic critical brand that doesn't say, well, let's tear up the world and, and you know, do, do something new it, that says, you guys, we might be trapped, you guys. Like, uh, you, you get that kind of sense of um, claustrophobia from this that, that I rarely get reading beer. I mean, I get it sometimes reading beer, but beer is careful to avoid that. You could tell this guy, he, um, I forget how Max Horkheimer comes up early in this book, but I'm like, okay, it's like that. This guy can code and he's learned to Frankfurt school. Like, okay. Well, because he, he goes to California to write the book and meets the Frankfurt school people. Right. Um, he, like he, he, he interacts with that community in, in California um, and therefore starts, starts to sort of like bring in all of this like Frankfurt schooly thinking. Um, yeah, you may have handed me my new Bible is what I'm saying. It's good. I'm, I've, I've been thoroughly enjoying it even just for the first couple of chapters. I, I, I feel like I really need to get a hold of a physical copy of this, even though it's like a hundred bucks, whatever, because uh, it's way out of print. But um, yeah, quoting from the article here, um, the book has two major arguments. First, there is a difference between man and machine. 
Second, there are certain tasks which computers ought not be made to do, independent of whether computers can be made to do them. The book's subtitle, From Judgment to Calculation, offers a clue as to how these two statements fit together. Yeah, what this kind of basically means is that, like, um, uh, like computers are capable of calculation, which is, like, um, quantitative and kind of capable of being algorithmically specified, but what we do often is, like, what human beings do socially with each other is more like judgment, which is uh, qualitative and not really capturable in algorithms. It's based on values, and values come from life experience. They come specifically from human life experience, and there's a kind of implied, you know, for, for people to really do this judgment process with each other, there's a kind of necessity of some shared baseline of experience um, and uh, kind of like a common footing that computers are not not capable of um they haven't had a human life or they had they, they're not in, embedded in a human history um and so when we see things like you know ai or whatever the fuck being kind of applied to like granting bail or whatever or like you know anything to do with the legal system or you know uh, approving loans and shit like that that for weizenbaum is like no 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 that shit requires judgment not calculation if you're in a realm where you require compassion and understanding of each other, then that's a realm that these artificial intelligences, even if they could perform in that realm, they shouldn't be fucking permitted to. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I feel like it's a very, um, it's very much in the line of sort of like for, uh, Frankfurt School, like neo-Kantianism, um, this, this, this calculation judgment distinction. Um, and and it, it's... You know, obviously there are echoes of like dialectic of enlightenment and 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 so on in uh, in in what he's saying here. Um, yeah, yeah, in instrumental and substantive reason, right? That like computers can't do substantive reason. Um, even even the chatbots who seem to be pretty good at it are not doing substantive reason. They're doing predicting what the next token in a sequence is going to be. You know. Um, and to, to do substantive reason, you need a you need a human experience. You need values that you've learned over the course of a life. Um, it's kind of why, like you know, toddlers act like fucking psychopaths. You know, if anyone who's raised a kid will recognize this. That like you really do have to train judgment and train values into somebody through a, a life, through a lived experience. It's not something that's given at all, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, it's. I, I think that this is uh, the argument from training. I don't think it's very uh, convincing necessarily as opposed to like the AI we have now, because that that's what the pro AI advocates would say is we'll train it to be better. Um, I think there's there's something about going through experiences in an empathetic way that is very important to Weizenbaum, right? Like to have the ability to not only experience the thing and learn, but also to put yourself in the other person's position and, and, and have a feeling from that and, and to, to have that feeling like sit with you, I, I think is really important to what he's saying. And it's really funny. All the ways that I'm trying to describe what I think he's getting at, I actually notice are being expressed in, um, you know, mechanical terms. Like, I want to say, you know, uh, they don't have the cognitive machinery to do this. I want, I want to say um, they, they don't have the ability to build an empathic model. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want to use all these linguistic metaphors 
that you know and that's the point they're like metaphors it, it, we're talking like you know it's like kind of like it it's not like a homologous process um they're not the same process yeah um weisenbaum also spots a couple of other problems with the the onset of the computer that like um in much the same way that the he's seen bomber pilots be able to distance themselves from the children they've just killed, you know, because they never saw the village, they just flew the plane or whatever the fuck. Um, inserting software into the middle of some social process allows people in power to, you know, pretend to take their hands off the wheel and go, eh, not my fault. Um, with, you know, despite the consequences they very clearly designed into the thing. By, by the way, I just wanted to mention that, like, that's uh, quite a, quite a, it's in fact quite a flawed example because... Um, yeah, uh, bomber pilots can actually experience enormous remorse. Drone pilots can as well. It's it's it doesn't actually work that way um, uh, necessarily. Um, like you could have people who are wrecked for the rest of their life of grief because of what they did, even though they couldn't see the person they were killing, they weren't there, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, yeah, it's more co- it's more complicated than that, but there is a potential there for distancing. Yeah, but yeah, if you're yeah, a yeah. different type of person, right? You, you, yeah, yeah. If you're a different type of person, you could just take the easy road there and just distance yourself in a way that you can't when you're shoot you're lining people up and shooting them. Like that's why the Nazis eventually, you know, were like, yeah, let's let's just you know, you can hit the button and turn up the Bach or something, and you know, you don't have to think about this. Like, yeah, I'm just mentioning it because it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a, 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 a default way of thinking and like a, 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 a person I, 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 uh, I know, uh, was actually one of those people and was actually broken by the experience. So it is, you know, it is actually quite more, no, it's quite a bit more complicated than, than that. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've seen examples that are closer closer to actually viable examples here. I think maybe in platform capitalism, like what was it called, like algorithmic laundering or something? I, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember the exact term, but it's basically like, you know, you, you take some, I don't know, some bank has a, has a generally racist policy on granting loans or whatever, and then they go, well, we're going to we're gonna wash our hands of this by pushing it through a computer. And it's like, well, the computer said it, not me, you know, that kind of shit. Um, yeah, that's a thing that like is even more complex, like even more, sorry, uh, convincing, right? Because it's like, it's very much possible to interact with the system and have no conception of your moral responsibility, right? Because like you're, you're just performing technical operations and there's no clear like A to B causal relationship that you can see. Right. Right. Totally. Um, there's also a kind of argument here for like variety at- from variety attenuation that like one of the problems he spots is that it kind of the introduction of computer processes kind of railroads these these like social processes onto narrower tracks that like um, the, the 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 bounded algorithmic logic of software is just like lacking in the flexibility and the um, the freedom of human judgment. Right. That like. It kind of what could be quite open and fluid processes get like shunted onto these like very restricted um, possibility spaces, which yeah yeah it's it's very similar to like Graeber's argument um, in uh, the the flying colors and the falling rate of profit where it's he's saying like these these yeah I mean it is these 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 
technologies, these information technologies are not creating something new socially. They are finding ways to ossify the social structure and just like make it more rigid and embedded and difficult to change, right? And sophisticated, like Im- improving the, the, you know, or what might have been called in a heady or the human security system, like, you know, improving the, the, yeah, this really does cut against a lot of the, you know, at, See, I've always, I've kind of wanted to be a techno uh, optimistic person. And the more I look at these things, you know, it seems seemingly hard to deny. These are part of a a, a counter revolution to embed um, power structures more than they are like the the Hegelian step towards cyber councilism that I was hoping these things would be. So like... There's this quote from much earlier in the article that that that, that is about this, right? That like, uh, and reading from Tarnov's article here, um, perhaps his most fundamental heresy was the belief that the computer revolution, which Weizenbaum not only lived through but centrally participated in, was actually a counter-revolution. It strengthened repressive power structures instead of upending them. It constricted rather than enlarged our humanity, prompting people to think of themselves as little more than machines. By ceding so many decisions to computers, he thought, we had created a world that was more unequal and less rational, in which the richness of human reason had been flattened into the senseless routines of code. Now, that's a provocative fucking statement, that the computer revolution is a counter-revolution. And, like, I, I, don't, I don't know I disagree, you know? You know? But it, and it makes people less rational, and I think that's a really unique ter- uh, plan of attack. That you, you don't, you, you just don't kind of get this outside of the Frankfurt School. In in my in my view, like like you kind of get a more irrationalist kind of critique of this stuff, or or you get people that yeah, I like reason. Let's crush everything. Like uh, you, you very rarely get this like imminent critique of reason. Yeah, it's amazing, and like so, I kind of I don't like I think a lot of our techno optimist stuff kind of comes a little bit later with like the the PC revolution like when 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 computers are miniaturized and put in people's hands and then you have the internet and all that kind of stuff I think that's where all of the optimism comes in but like Weizenbaum is writing before any of that is true right like computers very much are a tool of elite power and are very conspicuously being used by the institutions of the time to shore themselves up in the face of pressure from society from the civil rights movement like he he kind of we'll get into this much later in the book but like he's just like saying that you know there was all this pressure on these these institutions and structures that probably might have collapsed without the computer to help shore themselves up yeah and and there's a weird like kind of feedback process where society stayed this way because they just they kind of whipped up something that would be perfect to stabilize it and that it might maybe not have stayed that way if there wasn't this perfect thing that just came quote just in time he likes using the phrase just in time presumably as a reference to the kind of you know production that was popular at the time yeah he's he's a kind of um he's like an early herald of what we saw in adam curtis's all watched over by machines of loving grace the notion that especially the neoliberals and the kind of finance tech weirdos really wanted to create a stable world that was like self-stabilizing for capital um, and, like, Weizenbaum can see this in germ form, right? That, like, using computers and finance to stabilize the world in and, and solidify power structures. It's like, yeah, it's, it's um, echoes of some of our earliest episodes. 
uh, yeah, there's that. And like the fact that he's making the argument against the idea that we're getting a going to get a global village out of this. Cause you're right. He's dealing with a much more elitist version of technology. But uh, the sad thing is that I, even with the more personal and like accessible form of this where, you know, someone might not have a home, but they, but they have a smartphone computer in their hands. Like I, you know, I, it's it very demonstrably has not created the global village, and so much of his pessimism is borne out. One of the the only, one of the only things that really maybe doesn't age as well is he still thinks in terms of spectacle and passivity when it comes to media, instead of like simulation and um, and you know being drawn into it with this kind of alienated activity. Um, I mean, I think I think there yeah i mean <laughs> the error about the global village is to say that it's a village it, 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 like there there's still like a uh i mean previously unfathomable degree of international interaction among people like we're having right now this very moment on computers right or but it happens all the time like this is something that would have been inconceivable in the 60s or it would be conceivable, but not like you couldn't imagine it practically. And it would be sci-fi. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. We're sitting in three different countries, two different continents, like, you know, chatting like about something. Yeah. And, and the thing is, though, it's, it's definitely not a village. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's not a village. It's something very different from that. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, the techno-optimism stuff you see with, like, um, to some degree, Marcuse, and then you get it in Fiendberg, and, it, it, like, it, it's, it's, like, pushing back against the overwhelming pessimism of the Frankfurt School, right? Like, trying to assert that there might be a chance that things could be different. Not saying that that is what is actually happening, but that something could be different. Uh, that it's not inherent to reason that this dialectic is played out and now it is just like self-oppressing reason acting upon itself right uh and 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 i think that that is i think i mean i think it's always a valuable point of view to have because oh yeah i didn't i didn't mean that discrete location in history when i when i said techno yeah 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 it's just it's just yeah you know i i i'm just thinking about it coming from that like extreme pessimism perspective and then trying to like open up some kind of possibility in there. But I also recognize that like the amount of techno optimism that has existed across the political spectrum um, is way out of proportion with that sort of cautious, like, you know, let's hold open what possibilities do exist and not preclude them by assuming like full uh, uh, pessimism about uh, rationality uh, altogether. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm into that. I, th I think it's um some of this is not helped by like you know in general the colloquial sort of definition of techno pessimism or techno optimism is 
the Minsky sort of like Landian nightmare sort of vision. You know, that that's the op- that's their optimism of like, yeah, AIs are going to eliminate humanity. <laughs> the the Minsky to land pipeline. Our like, optimism is very different from that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was more thinking of a Wired magazine, like yeah, uh, yeah. you know, era yeah, like totally. early '90s. Like you know, that this is the yeah, conditions of my brain. Right, yeah, and you know, since then, like, I don't know, like, Frankfurt School isn't right about everything. I like jazz and Star Wars and, you know, like, uh, I, you know, I, if, if, if you get really into this, everything's decadent and fascist, you know, and then, you know, people start taking birth control pills to be trans, like, then what? Like, um, you have, you know, you have two choices there and, you know, you can either accept that, well, all right, I guess sometimes it's not so bad or, you know, go like the spiked magazine route. Um, and if your if your whole life's purpose is to try not to be fascist, like I, that's like a joke. A very strange joke without a punchline. That one, um, the the spiked magazine route. <laughs> uh, yeah, or or the the te- yeah telos like right wing kind of Adorno route or the you know anti Deutsch like yeah. all, all these all these like weird spinning of the Frankfurt School into its own reducto ad absurdum that you know actually critique critique and never taking a solid position doesn't actually inculcate you from being reactionary either so you know when i when i when i see but when i see something like this that doesn't that doesn't have that like uh spitting on the grave of reason attitude um you know i'm i feel very engaged and you know for someone that likes playing with their toy trains but doesn't like it when their toy trains bomb children like i think that's the right position to have like yeah absolutely um, so, uh, Weizenbaum's book earned him a huge amount of scathing criticism from his contemporaries. Uh, obviously, uh, Minsky and McCarthy fucking hated him. Um, but then the kind of whole AI thing ran aground on the AI winter. Like, the the kind of... Um, yeah, that's precisely precisely why they hated him so much. Is He, he was publishing a, a scathing critique at the same time that the Pentagon was catching on to their scam and it just, it just wasn't, wasn't the press they wanted, you know? Yeah. The, the, the symbolic AI stuff just went, just, just shat itself and died and they lost all their funding. Yeah, exactly. At the same time as he's saying, yeah, this, this, this is all fucking trash. Um, Maybe that's one of the good things that came out of funding game theory is that they had some like, you know, math, you know, John Nash was like, listen, you know, I was talking to the communist that lives in my closet and uh, he told me that like, you guys don't know about Girdle. Let me just show you something. Like, and um, so they were able to pull all their funding and save all that money, you know. Good taxpayer dollars, you know. <laughs> taxpayer dollars sent to some other, like, absurd, quixotic te- techno project. <laughs> Listen, yeah, it freed it up for more absurdities that were more profitable, like the Star Wars program, the, the you know, the Reagan one. Yeah. Um, in a strange turn of face, like, um, it's like, so Weizenbaum uh, dies in 2008 um, of stomach cancer at the age of 85. But around the same time, uh, like by the time by the, by the time you get to that point, like AI is kind of a joke at that point. Like it, it had been a joke, and everyone's like, whatever. Um, but this new connectionist kind of paradigm based on neural networks and like learning and like using data and statistics to like throw them into this bucket and teach the bucket how to think. That's the new paradigm that starts to emerge. And that's the kind of basis of all the stuff we've got today with like the generative AI, which is a very different paradigm 
It does inherit from the, er the earlier work, but just takes a very different route. So Weizenbaum just doesn't really get to see that stuff come about, because I, I, I'm pretty sure, like, some of the major work for that was in uh, in the mid-2000s. Like, he wouldn't necessarily have been aware of that stuff. And, like, even then, it wasn't obvious that it would go anywhere. Like, it's only in the last couple of years that it started to... Especially when, I think, the Google people came out with, like, the Transformer architecture, that it started to be like, oh, actually, there's something here. Um, that's, you know, we're now in this AI resurgence that was kind of hard to predict. It was hard to see coming because everyone was just like, yeah, yeah, AI went fucking nowhere, you know? Well, and also, like, the the examples that you would get, like, up until quite recently were fairly, like, comically... Oh, they were shitty. <laughs> they were way shitty. You know, they were just, they were just really bad. And then it, all of a sudden it was like you crossed a quantum and, you know, it was just like, boom! Like, this is actually kind of convincing. Uh, uh, yeah. Like, even... Even for me, like, as, as somebody who, like, I wouldn't say, like, I, I have been super into machine learning or something, but I, I would keep an eye on the field or whatever, and I, I did not see ChatGPT coming. It was like, that came out of fucking nowhere, as far as everyone was concerned. Um, an absolutely remarkable quantum leap in capabilities, overnight. And then suddenly the whole fucking world shifted. Um... You, you can really feel the difference in the quality of social media interactions, which, like, was not, like, a, you know, a, a, wasn't a Garden of Eden exactly beforehand, but, like, there's the point where you're, you don't think, like, half these people are bots, and then you're, there's the point afterwards where you're like, okay, is this, is this, you know, who's, like, who's going to fail the Turing test today? Is this person just, just a human that learned to behave like a fascist robot, or are they, is this a bot? Yeah, is, is this just an instrumental reason, mm -hmm. like, like, you know? Yeah, and so weirdly, like, this, like, pessimistic and critical perspective on AI is back on the table, because AI is back on the table, like, as a, as a big thing. Um, which, so Weizenbaum would be quite at home today if if he lived you know um but uh sadly um we get also like i, I don't know it's kind of remarkable going back to this stuff and being like wow like fucking amazing look at this shit from the 60s and 70s where this guy is like super critical in this really incisive way and it's like oh no of course it got buried because this is the kind of thing that happens to these like dissident voices of course it got fucking buried like i'm not i shouldn't be surprised that i can't find this to available to purchase anywhere you know um, okay. Yeah, but and and this is I just think the rational response <laughs> to all of this and like uh, yeah the self destructive character of rationalistic enterprises and I think istic is like really it's it's an it, rationalistic you know it makes use of reason it has like a reason themed like cloak like it, it is reason themed like it is not the same as as being rational or you know appealing to our better like processing ability yeah I, I mean I, I I think it's interesting because I think with this like language learning model stuff it's it's almost like there's barely even any any basis to say it's even reason themed like there's no like I don't see where the technology really makes any claims to rationality other than to say that you know, it may relate to what it is supposed to be doing, but it might not. Like, it's very, it's very postmodern in the way it works, you know? 
Well, it, it, it's telling, yeah, it's telling that that's when it got successful. Like, yeah, I think there's so much there of like the stuff we will get to in Weizenbaum's book that like kind of drawing this distinction between like, I think that's as we put it, like rationality versus being rationalistic. Like there's, there's the substance of a practice and then there's the ideology of like a kind of framework of practices. And so he's very critical of, he's, he's like, He's kind of fine with AI as a technology, but he's very critical of AI as an ideology, of the rationalistic bullshit. Um, and that's the thing he's, he's ta he takes aim at. And it's like, he, he doesn't even really claim that, like, AI would never be capable of X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, even if it is or not, the problem is the ideology of AI that you get from Minsky, McCarthy, and from fucking everyone. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because, like, the arguments in favor of AI today are very like, um, well, they're very, they're very instrumental, right? Like they're, they don't make an argument on the basis of like, you know, wow, like this is actually an emulation of a human mind. It's just like, oh yeah, we could just like replace all our writers with this. We could replace all our artists with this. We could, uh, like, you don't need to write an essay for, for school. Just get the computer to write it for you. Um, like, it's very practical, right? Um, that kind of practicality has a way of sticking around because who wants to, you know, sweat over a, writing a letter to your boss or whatever, or making a presentation that you've made a hundred times. And for some reason, it's always so hard to get started. But now... You just kind of put in a prompt and there something is like, those are the types of things that have staying power. And I guess that's what makes this, what makes the current critique, uh, or the current culture of critique around this so scary. <laughs> well, and it's, it's like the rationality that exists is basically like capitalist rationality. It's like we could increase our profit rate by using this is really the rationality that is at play. Right. And, and, and yeah, I could fake having three jobs and collect all the income by feeding my job into chat GPT, like that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Until they figure out it was chat GPT and then replace me with chat GPT. Um, and everybody has to work three jobs. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it, it feels like the sort of uh, gee whizness of good old fashioned AI as like we are building a rational machine is not really there. It's more like the spectacle of efficacy that is 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 is. Is, is really there and it's like in a way like even more sort of dialectic of enlightenment because like nobody gives a shit about reason it doesn't matter if it's rational or not as long as it's instrumentally useful that's all that matters which is really like the core of the dialectic of enlightenment critique um, and, and so yeah it's like in a way like Weizenbaum's uh, target in his book is very different from what we are experiencing today, but I feel like the core of it still really does hit on something because 
it's like the new AI discussions are even more vapid than the old ones. Yeah, right. Like it's it's you're quite right. They they don't even uh, largely don't even make try to make the um, the claim of like it's a, it's a perfectly rational machine god. It's like no, this, this thing is an entropic slurry that will suffocate all of us. We we just but we just have to do it. You know, we have to do it because my margins and. Uh, and land or like what i find even more suffocating is that part of our discussion about ai is not this you know glowing happiness it's actually couched in critique like and couched in critique making the same category error that weizenbaum is really interested in it's like okay you guys we're we might accidentally be inventing skynet and, uh, you know, this thing, it, we're inventing a person and like, it's like a, it's an angry machine God and it's going to get really bad soon, you guys. So let's like, you know, let's sign like a, a pack that we're not going to like give fealty to the machine God when at the same time, it's not the possible future gener like a general AI that, you know, is, is the machine God from Terminator that I'm, you know, I'm worried about. And this article is quite good about this. Um, it's, it's actually just the modern applications right now and the way that, that it's, it functions as this instrumental reason pump that would give Weizenbaum nightmares because this, this chapter 10 of this book, last chapter is against the imperialism of instrumental reason. This is, you know, deep dialectic of enlightenment territory. And, um, Yes, this is somehow we are having a debased version of this like stupid like 1960s 70s like military grift. Well, it's 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 I feel like, you know, there is the critique that that line of discussion like this sort of like forecasting like uber doom scenarios and trying to prevent them that like Musk and these others are into is like um, a distraction from real problems, which I think is true. But there's also a degree to which, like, the people who are most into that discussion are, like, the, like, inconceivably rich with aspirations to becoming immortal god kings. And they're just, uh, they're just upset that anything could get in the way of them doing that. Like, it's like, well, it's like, you know, if something was to get in my way, it would have to be something that's even more powerful than me. And obviously that would be the machine god, right? So it's like, it's like problems that like, it's very, it's like beyond first world problems. It's like problems that exist only for the smallest fraction of the 1%, like 20 people on this planet who are really concerned about it because nothing else concerns them. There's also the angle that, like, um, with some of this, like, oh, caution about AI stuff, some of it is coming from the people at OpenAI and Google and such. Like, and there's this weird sort of gradient from, you know, that Sam Altman and all these uh, freaks at OpenAI who desperately want to, like, urge caution so they can solidify their position at the, their very temporary position at the top of the pyramid right now, right? That, like, if you can get if you can get the United States government to legislate to like just solidify the thing as it is, then there's a huge payout for them. And there is, then there's the, I think there's the tier of folks who are kind of like Elon Musk, who are like frustrated that they missed out on this and that they are now third tier tech billionaires rather than first tier, etc. You know, there's, there's a kind of gradient there that steps down. And, and then at, at the bottom of the fucking pile, you've got 
folks who are like you know legitimately critical of this stuff for good reason and not trying to just like either solidify their own position or work out a kind of grudge that they missed the boat you know that, that kind of shit like there's a, there's a weird amount of this caution stuff coming from the people who it's very it's very like hey look we made a sh- uh, we, we made a super virus it'll be it'll be real real bad if we let it out there you know like oh somebody please stop us you know um very weird sort of shit coming from the open ai folks right the other thing well the other thing to me that is like that makes me not really concerned with these doomsday scenarios that are like based on in, in, in like artificial intelligence is that I just don't believe it's in the nature of reality and computation that that scenario is plausible because it's like the more general your intelligence becomes the less detailed it becomes in terms of its efficacy and the more costly it is to operate and it, it just feels like you, these these levels of engagement with the world exist where you're never going to have the intelligence that is simultaneously all comprehending and all acting yeah i think so. i mean d- didn't we get this in oh this was a long time ago but it was Fran- francois chalet yeah human use of human beings it was in there but it was also in francois chalet's um we read this for the show what the fuck was the title um the implausibility of intelligence explosion he he named that exact trade-off right um and i i basically agree like i i think my instinctive thing is that i i'm, I'm relatively sure that kind of bi- biological processes that have evolved are reasonably close to optimal in terms of like energy density and like computational power like i think there are actually there's like work been done to kind of demonstrate that like cells are pretty optimal in terms of like energy usage for the amount of bang the bang they get for their buck is pretty great um and i think if you go down this road of like oh we need to we really need to optimize the silicon to allow for this like dynamic neural stuff and it's like you will just end up reinventing biology but more energetically expensive yeah, you just, yes, you, you just come up with, like, we could either just, like, duplicate a human or we could, you know, make this, like, ludicrously elaborate analog computer or something, but it's not very effective at doing anything. And, and I mean, it, it, and, and, and the other thing about is that the, the doomsday scenarios I find more convincing are, like, the Grey Goose scenarios, because that is just unleashing a radically simplifying, easily reproducible process upon the world. And like, that could definitely happen. Like there's, I, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't happen is, you know. No, that one makes sense. It just, it, the problem is, is when you get it from the people that are falling in love with their AIs, be like, there's a person in my screen. There's a, you know, like, like the, when you're getting the doomsday scenarios from that and it, rely, it relies on this capacity for there to be a general intelligence, you know, with cognition, it taps into the descriptive issues here. But, and like, and, um, you know, even though uh, Norbert Wiener in Human Use of Human Beings and uh, Weizenbaum here, don't think that can happen. Um, they're both saying something along the lines of, but if it can, then, <laughs> then we also don't want that to happen, which is, you know, in, in some abstract way, I guess, in your third category, June, of, of people who have legitimate concerns so that just in case, you know, our 
understanding of this descriptively happens to be wrong. We have some ethics in place um, for our, you know, for, for the uh, meat sacks that are being puppeted by uh, the passive aggressive AI from Portal. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing the the thing for me generally is like in these cases, I it's like with people or animals or whatever, like I just tend to like to be able to suss out the contours of the actual ethical situation and 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 create a judgment as to like what I think is good. Like, you know, uh, it's like it's like when you you aren't a dog owner and you bring a dog into your house. Right. You have to establish boundaries with the dog, but you can't do that a priori because the dog is an agent and the dog has an intelligence and feelings and, and you have feelings and all this kind of stuff. And you need to work it out. Right. So you do need to delete like you do need to sort of like be virtuous. Right. You do need to engage with the ethical matter um, and the practical matter. But I just don't I am I'm always hesitant to like say things like this. Like in principle, this should not be allowed for this category of being because we just don't really know what that category of being would actually be like. Um, in, in in reality, it could be that actually, it the the this artificial intelligence is reasonably empathic, and you'd have to go down this sort of like, uh, you know, what is that episode of Star Trek we talked about with uh, with Data, right? The um, the one with the the creepy chaser guy. Um, uh, like you'd have to go down that kind of route. Right. And it's just like, you know, I don't think we can rule it out in advance. I just want to see what kind of being would that being be, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no. I'm, I'm for the positronic brain. Like I, I just, uh, you know, we're talking about a God AI. We're talking about uh, Maddox. At, uh, well, no, what's, no, what's that guy's name? We're, we're talking about uh, Barkley when he's connected to the enterprise. You know, <laughs> not, uh, yeah, 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 not yeah, data, yeah, yeah. right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, the article does kind of close out on this kind of point about like the AIs being alien, like that kind of um, even if they even if they were capable of this sort of stuff, which like ChatGPT is, and like even if it had cognition and had its own sort of value system, it would be an alien value system. And so, for Weizenbaum, the notion of aligning with it is kind of like not really a thing, but like it does kind of close out on the comparison with dolphins to go back to that kind of thing that like, um, you know, dolphins would make bad judges and terrible shrinks, but they might make interesting friends, right? That like, he doesn't rule out collaboration across these species, but he does kind of draw a line at like, they shouldn't be involved yet in human social processes unless they are actually acclimated to them. Um, and so I, mean, I think that's probably, it seems similar to what Kyle is saying, or even like um, what we get in like the culture novels where there's this deep collaboration across what are essentially different species like the humans and the minds. Um, the collaboration is not really ruled out, but like in, in the context of seeing the Vietnam War, seeing all this kind of stuff, seeing capitalism and all of its entities glom onto the computer as a tool of repressive power, 
Weizenbaum is like, you know, like, fucking hold on a minute. It's like, you shouldn't be doing this. And I don't know, he might be open to the possibility that if, if, if there was a real machine civilization that we could collaborate with, yeah, fucking collaborate with them, great. But while, while, while capital is using the facsimile of intelligence to fuck us over, he's going to argue that that shouldn't be permitted to happen. Right. I think, I guess we're, we're all bracketing out in this conversation about potential general intelligence, the, the brains from the culture, right? We all assume Skynet, not the brains. Um, and, um, yeah, maybe, yeah, potentially, yes. So someone, someone like Weizenbaum is, is, wouldn't even be in favor of the brains necessarily. Maybe like collaborating like side by side as, you know, potentially as people with different points of view, but, you know, I'm putting words in his mouth. I didn't even finish his book. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But Even, even before reading the Guardian article, I got the impression that there was a difference of kind that he established between machines and humans that, that was sort of... Yeah, it was sort of like... A metaphysical distinction, like an onto, like a fundamental ontological distinction between the two, um, and I mean, it, again, it just makes me kind of uncomfortable because it's like I I go through situations like every goddamn day where it's like my value system and your value system do not align, and I try to explain this to you, but we can only explain so much to each other, and. Uh, it sucks. Uh, and I'm just trying to, you know, we just, we just got to try to do the best we can to get along with each other. Um, and, 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 you know, I think confronted with that kind of thing, Weizenbaum would definitely be open to reconsidering and, 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 and discussing that further. Right. Uh, it's just that, um, uh, I don't, I don't get any impression that like Weizenbaum is like, deeply human supremacist he just seems to be operating in the culture of his time which was deeply human supremacist from a different time and it's from a different time yeah, yeah yeah like there was a there was a kind of uh, like arrogance of that moment in time about human dominance of the world and and a reaction against it that like still assume that some of its fundamental premises were correct, uh, which we just really can't we can't maintain anymore because like we are just going through this constant like process of realizing how we create our own problems and trip over our own feet and have limitations and. And and, 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 and and you know, we're just in a different moment of time. And I don't I don't like think there's anything. Yeah, I, I never got like I was never like, oh, no, this guy's like eliminationist or anything from I never got any of those impressions from this book. But it's like it's just kind of the prejudices of that moment when you are like in the center of empire and that's your understanding, right? This, yeah, this makes sense to me because I, I can't fully trust someone whose worldview aligns so closely with Heideggerianism. And there's usually <laughs> maybe just like baseline, like, you know, 0.01% Hitler particles in there somewhere. Well, it's just, it's, it's just this problem that, that Heidegger 
Heidegger voiced a, a critique and an understanding that was available in a million different places in the world, but he's the one that gets identified with it because he's the one who is who brought it into the academy, right? Uh, yeah, um, and, and obviously he was a complete fucker. Um, and and he, he gives you the worst possible version of. It. I mean, look, this is how Nietzsche gets operationalized too. Um, like, even, and there's a death of the author thing going on there, which with Heidegger, you know, the death of the author, they try to cut the other way. But, you know, there's always a little particle still left, in my view, I suppose. Like, uh, I, I try to be pluralist, but the thing about Heidegger is it starts from this place of supposed pluralism and ends, you know, close close to where, where Kyle is talking about. And, uh, and, you know, ultimately, if I, you know, I, yeah, I just don't, I don't have that. I have the sense that if there was, you know, a race of robots and they were like, they want to like be friends and, and, you know, collaborate on a joint civilization together. And we could like, I feel like I could learn things about my own reality and, and cultural context from them. Like, and I guess, yeah, that's blocked here. That makes sense. It is blocked. I think that that's the kind of crucial thing is that while we're still in a moment where you know, we, we've just been through the, the writers and actors strike where like a big point of contention was that the studios were in, like, as soon as they saw ChatGPT, it was like, in me, oh, wow, we can fuck over everyone with this, right? That's like, the, the chatbots are being used to fuck us. And until that stops being true, the kind of notion of collaborating with a machine species is kind of blocked, unfortunately. It, it is, it, yeah, this is a terrible version of like, when you're, you know, your country is flooded with refugees or there's some kind of, you know, uh, you know, racial migration within your country, like the Great Migration that he, um, he, he wrote about, like, and the way that those people, because of their foreignness, can be brought in as strike breakers. And that creates this, you know, assault of the earth kind of xenophobia instead of the openness towards variety. That's the hallmark of cybernetics. Yeah, it's real. My experience sort of as a somebody who like thinks about technology a lot and as I guess a kind of a kind of techno optimist, at least in the sense that I've just sort of like I I, I, I can see I, I want to always be curious and look for things that are interesting and beautiful in the world, whether they're technological or not. It's been a weird time because they're it's it's, you know, interacting with these technologies is deeply uncomfortable on a lot of levels. And talking to people about these technologies is also deeply uncomfortable because either they're like just absolutely fanatically excited about it or they're extremely extremely hostile about it to the level that like they will deny against all evidence that there's any use to these technologies at all yeah or yeah i mean use that's patently absurd but like even further like something i find objectionable and i agree with this is is that there's nothing of value here and that these could never be tools that are part of a better collaborative process that that brings that enhances human reason that's the thing i always want to like hold out as a possibility because i guess i you know i want to be optimistic about the world but also like 
I just maybe I'm just obstinate in a very autistic way that like technically they're wrong. <laughs> No, I think you're right, you know? Um, and, and because, like, it's like because the possibility exists in any sense, I feel it's important to assert it, even though it is not the most likely possibility. And it, it, it's, it's very annoying and irritating to me to have people say things that are not true uh, as though they are facts just because they want that to be the case. Uh, it just deeply rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, this re- this resonates with my values. Yeah, that resonates with my values more than, you know, I, do, I don't know if the description of the war. Because I just keep being wrong about technological developments and how there, there's not that, that much that's like the birth control pill. Birth control pill or, you know, the surgeries that, that save moms so that, you know, women could be parts of cultures, you know, and don't just die in childbirth and childbirth isn't the symbolic trading of your wife for your child, you know, like the, the, those technologies that improve the human condition, that make things better for women, that makes things better for, you know, um, for people that would not get a say otherwise that, you know, help the disabled, like cybernetic limbs, like so few technologies are these, so many of them are the, you know, we're going to use facial recognition technology to screen for protesters or sex workers or to try to clock your birth sex or, you know, whatever. Like, um, so much of it is in this, you know, Frankfurt School wheelhouse. And, you know, and I kind of feel this as someone who has, like, you know, silicon coursing through my veins in some way. Like, I... I, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I so deeply identify with these, like, technological processes. If that, it's, it's you know, kind of painful to articulate the stuff, but I also feel, I mean, God, like, how can you be a human being and not, and not be, like, plugged into the tragedy? And so, yeah, I guess it is, like, this is, yeah, like, at le- the very least a springboard for, like, a rare conversation that we can have now that AI is descriptively just back, baby, and, it, and it's fucking brainless. It has been lobotomized, and so there's no pretension to that, and so it is clearly our tool. It is, it is not the autonomous thing. It, it, like, and I don't know. There's still the Eliza problem. I don't know what to say about that other than to say that, you know, people are mentally ill. Of course they're mentally ill. They're civilized. Like, those two things are, they go hand in hand. Like, I don't know what to say about that, but... It's it's a remarkable time because, like, it feels like overnight there's been the beginnings of a kind of revolution in the means of production that, like, nobody, basically nobody saw coming. And now everyone is scrambling to figure out what the fuck this means. Like, how are the capitalists going to deploy this? How are we going to resist it? How's, how's all this going to shake out? And that's... It's a big break from the kind of malaise and kind of stagnation of, because I mean, we, we've talked about this on the show, right? That like, you know, aside from like communications technology, like the means of production and like um, the rate of profit has been fucking stagnant for a long time, right? Like it's been, it's just, it's, it's been the same shit year in, year out, right? Like just a slightly better camera on the iPhone. This new fucking thing seems to blow the doors wide open and like everyone's stunned and dazzled and trying to figure out what the fuck comes next, including workers, right? Like, as, as I mentioned earlier, we had this big strike in the Hollywood, like, um, TV and film industries that like, you know, the, the bosses were immediately on the fucking ball deploying chat GPT and shit like that to fuck over writers and actors. And so they mobilized immediately, and they, I think they've gotten their concession now. They've got it written into the contracts that you're not allowed to use ChatGPT and shit like that to fuck us over. Like, 
that's that's the starting gun on what could be a centuries long fucking process, like very similar to the invention of the steam engine, you know, <laughs> like fucking crazy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think it's it's like the other side of this discussion is um, the the discussion about waste, right? Um, these technologies are extremely, extremely wasteful in terms of ener- energy, right? Um, like, it, like, I recommend to the listener, if you have a chance, run, like, an image generation LLM on your personal computer, right? See how much time and energy that takes to do and you'll have a sense of like what the actual costs of these things are. Like it is incredible. If you have like, you know, my my PC has like a uh, Nvidia 3080 on it, so it's a fairly c- capable video card. And this is most of this calculation is done on the GPU. And it was like to generate images with this process was very 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 slow like it was like it was kind of like how Weizenbaum describes the pre-terminal mainframe was just like you write up a prompt you put it into the machine you wait four hours and then it comes back with an image in four hours time, right? And that's a powerful personal computer. Now, like when you are working on say Microsoft Edge and putting image prompts in and it pops one out in like 30 seconds, think about how energy intensive that is. And and there are so many things to which these technologies are being used where the the value of what the technology specifically brings over a much lower energy cost alternative is very very marginal right and so it, it it's like this has a potential to go the way of bitcoin mining oh totally because it's it's using the same hardware as bitcoin right um same gpu technology and and uh I, I just think that um, there's a whole ethical discussion to be had there as well about like using our judgment in terms of the deployment of means towards ends um, and like our discretion as to how should we use this energy, right? Like how should we use our resources? That's extremely important in this climate change moment we're in, in the moment when, you know, um, we're having like big time energy shortages in Europe in the winter and people are having like unbelievable inflation happening. Um, you know, it, it is, uh, like that's also an important discussion and it, it's, it's just like when it's, it's a similar tech problem where, there's an infinity of uh, speculative cash and VC money going into these technologies because being the next Google is so valuable, right? Being the one that corners the market, you don't want to be the next Bing. You don't want to be the next Yahoo. 
uh, or the next Ask Jeeves, right? <laughs> you you, you want to be the next Google. And so you're willing to put massive amounts of money and computing resources into doing the first stage of inshittification, right? Which is to to make something that's very useful, very accessible. You know, you can use it in all these different creative ways and it's free and it's available to anyone who can log into the computer, right? Um, and, and, and that bet, the size of that bet is like so wasteful that it's it's really pretty scary. Um, so I think that like, yeah, the, these AI don't have judgment, but also like the people who are deploying these AI also <laughs> don't have judgment, you know? No, they've become capital brain, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the platform capitalism dynamic has kicked into fucking overdrive in a huge way, right? You know, when we read that book, it was like, oh yeah, late capitalism and all this like platform capture stuff. And it's like, we have no idea how late it can get, <laughs> you know? That's the well, part. yeah, that's, that's the weird thing is like that basically every other part of the internet is falling apart, but there's all this money that's going into these AI technologies, right? Uh, it's like so focused. Um, uh, well, but part of the internet falling apart is the AI technologies. I remember the discrete moment when, when do, do you remember when, you know, uh, Elon Musk was trying to buy Twitter and he was like, I don't know, there's lots of bots on Twitter. I'm not sure if it's really worth what it's worth. And then, you know, they went back and forth and then he fi finally fucking does the dance, you know, is, you know, his daughter's trans, so he buys Twitter to try to make it more Nazi. And um, and all of a sudden, it's fucking so much more loaded with bots than it ever was before. And, like, I heard recently of something called the dead internet conspiracy theory. And I'm like, Consp conspiracy theory? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, haven't you noticed that the, the people that have, like, empathy and are decent have unplugged and are just playing Mega Man or something instead? Like, or, or just go touching grass, like in the non-metaphorical sense, like literally just they've, they've like deleted it because they can't handle this locus of negativity in their life. The way we, you know, of course, Uber mentioned overcoming our, our, uh, you know, continuously de dipping into the, the, the struggle pit and, you know, becoming so strong, um, every, every day by putting witty aphorisms at each other. Um, you know, how much, how much better it's making us, um, like, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's it's going to be very hard to trust anything. I mean, even, even beyond social media, it's going to be hard to trust anything kind of on the internet. Like, as, I guess a, a sort of a silent assumption so far has been that, like, if you go look up some information or you go try to find a book that somebody wrote, that what you get is actually maybe semi-legitimate, you know? And that's right. that's gone, you know? Like... Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're going to read a book? Yeah, good luck with that. Like, Where are you going to get the book from? How do you know it was ever fucking written, you know? Like, who's who's going to tell you that it's real, you know? And so, like, pro provenance of information and stuff is going to become much more important. And, like, I think these, um, in the short run, these LLMs are not going to turn into Skynet, but they might well give us all a warm, dark entropy bath we can drown in. And that'll kind of ruin civilization because we can't trust any information anymore. I think they're they're very much like the thousand monkeys on the thousand typewriters, you know, like they they can they can remix this vast corpus of information that exists and do that infinitely as long as you keep dumping power into the machines 
and 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 so yeah it, it's it's it is entropic you know it is it, it's like literally entropic like the the what it does to the amount of information like real information on the internet is actually entropic because those things were trained on the corpus of the internet, right? Like, they were trained on the internet as a corpus, but now if the internet contains the output, it's going to be eating its own shit. Yeah, and that's that's just going to keep magnifying. So, yeah, I mean, certainly I'm thinking of it. So you mean it, it, entropy is like a literal sense, and I can't help but think of this in terms of the sort of a left communist uh, trying to bring in the Frankfurt School, understanding the the decadence of capitalist civilization as it becomes more despotic and more, uh, you know, less like choice oriented and more like technologically administrated. Yeah, I mean, that, that those are related, though. I mean, like what happens to people in a low trust environment? You know, it's like things get more fucking cuckish. You know what I mean? They think the earth is flat and they're going to break your nose if you disagree. Yeah. So I don't think those are decoupled problems. Those are absolutely, I don't know, it's it's just like looking at it all, it's hard not to kind of see where the ball is likely to roll down the hill, you know, like, I mean, given, given all the possibilities, it's like, I, I don't know, there's a pretty distinct direction to this stuff that is, it, it's, it's hard not to see whether, whether I'm right or wrong about that is a different thing, but it's it's hard not to have that impression, you know? Yeah, it's it's just not the Skynet part I'm afraid of, you know. Like it's it's the it's just the existing trends. Ceteris paribus. I, I'm still holding out for data. Still holding out for the you know the, the the robot series like or the robot short stories from Asimov. I I still got that in my heart, but um, or you know Nano from Nikija or something. But um, uh, uh, other, otherwise, yeah, it's, it is really hard not to see. The, the more reasonable form of the AI skepticism and the, the fear around it, because it's, 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 it was like a year, it's been like a year or like two, like it really hasn't been that long that this, this just became, you know, it, it became a, a major strike issue. You know, it, um, it's, it's, it's already has a body count. Um, you know, uh, porn stars are like, all right, I can't talk to all you simps here. Talk to my bots. Like th there's, there's just so many applications. <laughs> critical support. Critical yeah, support. Yeah, no, I'm, that, that, that's by far the, the <laughs> least. That's by far the least objectionable. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that uh, we. It's interesting to compare this to like a previous example of like um, sort of revolutionary technology and the means of production and how workers responded to it. Right, like if you look at like. Uh, automated production on the assembly lines, right? The Braverman subject matter. Like, you know, there's a discussion there where he's like, well, you could design this so, like, you know, machinists could work with the... work with the machine to improve the production process and, like, it would be worker-directed as opposed to management-directed. But there's something about this that is, like... Yeah, but maybe because of the unbelievable energy demands of the technology, it's sort of necessarily so centralized that it's hard to even imagine that being like like to, to have like a worker input into the system that isn't just enriching capital by training the system. Yeah. Right. Well, 
you've just reminded me, though, like, I mean, this came up in Wiener's Human Use of Human Beings. He was commenting on the Industrial Revolution and the centralization of production in factories that, like, a major driving force for that was the energy intensity intensity of those machines that like you needed you needed huge drive shafts to convey energy to the machines so everyone having a machine in their own home was just not really viable because where are you getting the fucking like mechanical power from and so there was a natural centralization of those productive capacities in large factories because that's how you would distribute energy from the engine to the actual terminal machines effectively. And you you couldn't have them be distributed. There's a very similar dynamic playing out again. Huh. I mean, you know, well, I guess guess to your point, like, uh, Kyle, though, like, you know, what we're talking about here has got me thinking. You know, I could probably buy my fiancé a motorcycle if I did some, like, you know, OnlyFans trained like machine learning to like you know pump pump the internet for for like you know the weirdo guys online like so is it, and again sex work is of course the most defensible form of instrumental reason everyone knows that no one would disagree with that um, so that I th- I think workers control of production I, it's just around the corner you know what I'm a techno optimist again <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting that like Facebook or Meta is taking this kind of gamble on like open source models and stuff because because they missed the boat, right? Like o- OpenAI got there first with ChatGPT um, and have a moat around them of some kind. Fa- Google ha- are taking a certain strategy, but Facebook have this like very interesting strategy of like they're just open sourcing all their models. They're trying to do that thing of like flooding the zone and uh, what is it, commoditizing your complement or whatever. You just make it you make it cheap so they can't make it expensive. Um, which is a very interesting kind of move, but then you're still in that kind of realm of like the energy intensity is a problem that like you, like, like I mean, I, I, went, I recently went through this round of like buying a new computer for myself and I was like, if I wanted to run some of these models, I'd have to fucking double my spend, like honestly. And I, I, what I ended up with was not necessarily cheap either, you know? Um, like it's a serious fucking outlay to be able to run these open source models. Yeah, I've done it. I've done it. Like that's that's what I was describing is is doing it at home and it's you can do it. It it's not a smooth process and um I, there's always the concern that like, yeah, it's like there are people who are contributing into various commons by creating various versions of these open source models and improving the models, improving the tooling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But like, because of the yeah, the energy in, in intensity, um, you just you yeah you just well yeah like the 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 corpus you download is enormous in terms of disk size, but you could do it. It's just it's just that it feels like this is ultimately working to the end of just giving capital a better model to work with like that 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 the general intellect is still a free gift to capital you know in the way that the, the, the like science that the marx describes science that, that it's it's yeah well like it's it's not a free gift to end users it's it's a free gift to nerds who will work on other ai projects for capital right like it's 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 in the spirit of open source in general that like basically end users don't really use it it's hacker dipshits like myself that use it for companies you know (laughs) so you're saying all right because we need the because we'll need a contemporary version of a walk-in computer 
to make Simp Milk Bot like you know operate on the necessary scale, then therefore this is still going to be subsumed. And yeah, shit. All right, I'm a pessimist again. Well. I guess also, like, there's there's the kind of angle where, like, okay, for now you'll be able to do simp bot stuff, but because it's it because it is necessarily punting to somebody else's server that's controlled by OpenAI or fucking Google or whoever, all they have to do is change their policy and go like what they did with Instagram and go, yeah, no more sex sex stuff, and you don't have it's recourse to that because like it is it is ultra lock in, you know, it is it is lock in on steroids that like they have all the data, they have all the compute. You can't realistically replicate it at home. You kind of have to go begging to them to get to use it. And that, that's like the, the sex work example is one thing, but also like, um, you know, I don't know, like the way this gets stuff gets used for coding or whatever, like, you know, we're going to get in, in, end up in a place where, you know, our I think coders have generally been pretty free and loose in their kind of like the practice of their work, like doing the work. Like we kind of we get the specifications, we code it up and it's good. But now if all of our coding activity goes via ChatGPT, then it's surveillable, right? Like you can tell who's working faster than who, you know? Um, same goes for all the like Microsoft building in the fucking AI shit into like Outlook or whatever. It's like you can you, you can you sell a report to the managers of like look who's more productive at writing emails with the help of our assistant. You know what I mean? It's it's just like the the way they've sat on top of this like a cuckoo and just kind of prevented anyone else from sitting there is just remarkable. That's yeah, that's what that worries me. Again, it comes down to like the ownership and control of the means of production. Um and that 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 is what's what scares me the most about it um so the fact that workers are fighting on this subject is really encouraging because it's actually like a direct obvious target of the class struggle as opposed to something that is just sort of oh it's in the ether and it's all immaterial blah 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 like this is something that people recognize as 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 a real potential avenue for attack on workers. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting because, like, I think... I, I, I agree. Like, I, I think, especially for, like, what we've been talking about throughout this whole run of the show of, like, you know, possibilities for organizing among tech workers, whatever, um, it's... It's got it, like I think it'll tech workers will find it easier to organize around this than they than they do around oh the fact that you have to swipe in and out of the building or something like you're surveilled in that way or you know there's those kinds of control but like I think sci-fi has primed everyone to recognize artificial intelligence as a threat fucking immediately and we've 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 already had the wheels greased to be able to talk about resisting this thing because it's in every movie we've ever seen <laughs> you know yeah and and it kind of does tie into. Uh, Weizenbaum's secretary being like, could you leave the room? I'm talking to my, I'm talking to my therapist. And then when he suggested, well, I could just read what you said to your therapist. And she's like, how dare you? I can't believe you do that. Like, and the, 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 the Eliza effect having this unfortunate, I'd say unfortunate side effect in Weizenbaum's case, but you know, in the capitalist case, this is a very direct form of surveillance. Like, and you're... It's, it's literally it's literally the anecdote about Zuckerberg being like, I can't believe they're giving us this information with, with Facebook at Harvard, right? Like, I just... Like, why are they giving me all of their personal information? I can't understand it, but I'm going to run with it. Um, 
so there's been some resistance to, you know, there's been some popular kind of resistance or grumbling about the, the tech platforms using data to do ads or whatever. But that, that's probably in sharper relief now with like the tech platforms using data to make simulations of you that people can talk to or some shit like that. Like that's just immediately more visceral. That's true. Like, um, for example, Zoom uh, modified their uh, end user agreement, uh, their, their, their terms of service or whatever. And it was to say that all of the audio and video on Zoom is owned by us as like input for the LLM machines. Right. Like the, the that I can we can use this for training or sell it to other companies for training. And the backlash was large enough that they actually had to they had to reverse course on that, um, which is pretty incredible when you consider it's a fight over a EULA, you know, like, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think I don't know. It, it's a very interesting time to be alive right now. Right. Like it, it feels like everything is in flux in a big way. Yeah, we just need the, the we we need the luddism that people have to just have a little more of a bong rep just on the side, just in case command, Lieutenant Commander Data comes along. That's all, like because it's a, it's it's pretty good as is. Yeah, it's 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 uh, my yeah my exactly my my desire for novelty and creativity and 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 interest and 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 diversity just sort of makes me yeah makes me inherently want more than leadism which i guess is one reason why marx always appealed to me but i totally get the leadism as well <laughs> and I, I even even i struggle to see the positive ways to use this technology that don't lead to capitalist domination so i you know i'm not saying like oh it's easy you're just not seeing it it's like it's actually really hard to think about this um so let's think about it i got big pharma in my endocrine system and I, i'm like welcoming it every you know every two weeks so like like, you know, I am open to these possibilities. And yet, how hard is it? Like, cool. Um, is that all we got? Well, this is a long, gargantuan episode of the type you were afraid of. But, but I had so much fun doing this. <laughs> Thank you for listening to General Insectiness. While you wait for the next episode... You can find us on Twitter at GIUnitPod. You can find us on Facebook and all podcast apps. So like, rate, and subscribe, and share us with your friends. If you'd like to support the show, help keep the lights on, and get access to our community Discord, you can go to patreon.com slash generalintellectunit and give us a couple of bucks a month. Every contribution is greatly appreciated. This show is part of the Emancipation Network a Marxist podcast network and research collective. Go to emancipation.network and check out our sister shows such as Swampside Chats, From Alpha to Omega, Jumpsuit Utopia, and Mortal Science. They're all excellent shows and excellent books. Once again, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time.